You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast? Running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. With Eversense, the long-term sensor helps me spend less time dealing with my CGM. I only need two sensor changes a year. If you're on multiple doses of insulin, you might greatly benefit from the Eversense E3 CGM system, the only continuous glucose monitoring system that lasts for up to six months with one sensor. Still doing frequent sensor changes? Break free today with Eversense. For important safety information and to learn more about Eversense, please visit eversensediabetes.com slash safety. I am very curious. I have one more, but I have one more thing of this because that intro is not going to work. Can you do this intro? Well, I did what, the... We're doing an intro? We're doing an intro into mental minutes that are going to be oh, followed okay. by an episode with. So you're not doing you're not doing music. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're gonna have to get some more gushers now. Seriously. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh. Don't bitch at me and then be like, what are I you wasn't doing? bitching. I just asked a question. God. Mental podcast it was such a look of disappointment. It was like, when are you going to do me? Providing support. Oh, okay. I'm going to miss the cue. Shut up. Conversation along the way. And now, <laughs> here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth. I think we should use all of this. <laughs> I don't know if we should use it for this episode. No, but. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mental, your favorite mental health podcast. I know it. You can say it. It's all right. We all know. I sure hope so. (laughs) Actually, I came across another mental health podcast the other day, so I'm going to give it a listen just to see, you know, how it compares. Yeah. It doesn't have us, so. No. I mean, you know. And I want to ask, I, I... do you listen to our show? Yes, I do. Do you? I was I was curious if you actually listen to it because when you listen to another show, one of the things I always cue into is the editing. Oh, okay. I'll keep that in mind. So I was like, when you to listen to it, of course we're going to listen to content, but I'm also curious sure. how these other shows are are doing the production side of sure. the podcast because business. Because that's your baby. That's what you It do. kind of is. Yeah. Take a lot of pride in that. You should. I well. think you should. It's a good thing. Yeah. And you do a fantastic job. I've listened to it. It sounds great. So Oh good. You know, there, I'm 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 here to tell you I've listened to some podcasts before. I've turned them off in the middle because the sound quality is just awful yeah. or the editing's awful. And I'm like, you know what? The subject matter is interesting, but I just can't get past this. So I thank you very much for doing such a fantastic job. Oh, thank you. Anyway, everybody, that is my co host, Seth Showalter. And let me just talk about Michelle Collins really quickly. She is <laughs> The author of two oh. books that were just recently published. She is prepared. She's a bodybuilder officially as of last year, and she's currently in <laughs> prep for four bodybuilding competitions. Hence, Michelle is very busy. Oh Am I goodness. correct on that? 
You are correct on that. She's also very tired. (laughs) So let me tell you what happened today. I had to go to a town about 45 minutes away for a client. So I go out there today. I get the work done and I'm coming home. And I got hit with a wave of sleepiness. Like, it, it was unbelievable. It was three in the afternoon. I was so tired. My eyes would barely stay open. And I've got freeway driving for 45 minutes. And I finally, I'm like, that's it. I can't do this. And, and so I found an exit with a gas station that had a parking lot. Nice. <laughs> Pulled in, put my little sunshade up, popped the seat back, rolled down the windows, and I went to sleep for like 45 minutes on the side of the freeway. It was hotter than hell, too. It was 90 degrees. Humidity was terrible. I woke up all red in the face, like feeling like I couldn't breathe. But I could stay awake to finish the drive. Michelle. <laughs> Last this is week. my life. Last week, you shared a story in which you were so tired, you were falling <laughs> asleep at the light. Yes, I did. you barely made it. I know. And then you then pushed yourself to continue into your workout by downing workout, pre-workout, pre-workout I did powder. the same thing today. <laughs> I had to get it done because I had to go back like, to the airport tonight. You do understand... <laughs> That that is legitimately what puts me into a seizure, right? Oh, well, I, like I don't have that amount activity. Of, I know, but I'm just saying running your body to that extreme. I know. And by the time I hit care. Fridays, yeah, by the time I get to Fridays, the beginning of the week, I'm fine. By the time I hit Thursday afternoon, Friday, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling it. Yeah. I'm pretty tired. Yeah. I'm pretty tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sleeping in tomorrow, though. As who should. How and I, Sunday. When you when you say sleeping in, what what does that mean? Oh no, I mean sleeping in. So like last week, I think on Friday night I got nine hours of sleep, and on Sunday night I got ten. Oh wow! So what time? I mean, are you not wake- Sunday night, but I mean Friday night, Saturday night, I got ten. What time are so. you waking up? Is my question. Uh, eight thirty or nine o'clock. Yeah, the people don't consider that sleeping in. Yeah, well, they also don't get up normally like I do at three forty-five in the morning. So that's oh. sleeping in. That's, that's sleeping in by quite a lot. That's a fair that's a, point. practically another whole night's sleep. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So anyway, anyway, I was just saying that's an unusual occurrence. I don't usually have to pull off the side of the road to sleep for a little while. Well, I'm happy that you so prioritized your safety and the safety of others in that yeah. moment and took care of yourself. Well, you know, you know, there's a moment like you know when you're tired, you're like, okay, I can tough it out, you know blow some cold air in my face, chew some gum, drink a soda, something. You know, I couldn't do any of that. I mean, I had the air on and everything. I couldn't drink a soda. So I I just knew I was getting to that point where I was like, it's not, this is not safe. This is not good. So I'm just going to have to take a few minutes. So it takes the edge off and then you're, you're good to go again. But normally, I mean, it's not just from getting up early. It's because my calories are reduced. It's because there's so much extra energy going on and your body just after a while goes, okay, that's it. You want to go again tomorrow? You got to sleep right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me kind of giggly and laughy now at 10 o'clock because I'm way past my bedtime. <laughs> yeah. And this is not really a laughy kind of episode. It really so, isn't. So, so there's that. There's that. But, but you should okay. do your mental minute. Well, I just want to validate how hard you're working and oh, how you. how much longer uh first competition is five weeks away the 
second is six weeks away, the third is eight weeks away, and the final one is ten weeks away. So, so another weeks. two and a half months. <laughs> I was kind of when you say it that way, it's so much worse than ten weeks. <laughs> two and a half months. Two and a half months oh of my this. God. I remember this from last year, but I it, know. it seems more I know. intense this year, which we've already mentioned, we've already talked about. But. It is. But I am going to Texas in a couple of weeks to see my daughters. Yeah. So I got to fit that drive in too, because I was going to fly, but I have these specific chairs and my very pregnant daughter with triplets has said, I really wish I had one of those chairs because my back is really bugging me. And so I was going to say, if you're driving, can you bring one? And I was like, oh, I was going to fly. And she's like, oh, okay, that's fine. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm driving. <laughs> so now I'm going to take a week and drive down. So oh, good. Take, take her her chair. Oh, good. I'm happy to hear it. Yeah, it'll be nice to see them. It's their birthday coming up. They're going to be 30, Seth. Well. So this week, I finally did hear back from the first therapist that I had reached out to. Oh, good. I started essentially hunting them down via Psychology Today emails. Turns oh. out that is more effective at uh, reaching a therapist than it I is imagine. calling them. <laughs> so I have an appointment. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Also. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, it's going to be a few weeks, though, because I yeah. could have gone Tuesday, but the way that work is going and the way these classes are panning out, I can't do it. So yeah. I have to wait a little bit. I also saw a neurologist here at SLU. Yes. Uh, I'm not too far uh, in the city, but um, like 30 minutes away from me. It's actually in a brand spanking new hospital Nice. like less than half a mile from where I used to live. It's a beautiful facility. So swanky. It is. And the neurologist <laughs> was smooth. He's young. He's hip. He's funny. He answered a lot of things I didn't know. Good. Um, I legitimately understand what an aura is for the first time, which is, is enlightening to understand that those are indeed actually seizures. Yes, and so they are. when I when those happen, it's not like I'm just having... Oh, a panic attack. No, I'm actually having a seizure. It's, it's a, just it's, it's not just a warning shot across the bow. It's it's yeah. a legitimate thing. Yeah. Cuz I was viewing it as warning signs. Um mm -hmm. and it's not. Also learned that there's a medication that's kind of like an EpiPen but operates kind of like nasal like nasal spray. No, you were telling me about that. And uh if you like if I were to start if I were to have an aura, uh if I started to have a cluster of auras, um, I could use that and it will actually stop a seizure in its tracks. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. They have requested an MRI and an EEG. Good. Which <laughs> I have to get off work for that. Yeah. And they can't touch that. And they don't say that I'm not allowed to take that time off. They discourage it though. Well, like sort of for that neurology appointment... I continued to work. So like I were, I was running a class, yeah. gave them an online course and said, I'll be back in two and a half hours. Right. Came back and continued teaching when I got here. The amount of stress that I was under to get here on yeah, time I was enormous. First of all, I wasn't supposed to be driving in the first place and I drove all the way to right. the city. 
Uh, I know. So I was not happy about that. Totally against the law. And then I drove 84 miles on the way there and 84 miles on the way back. Because I was late on the way getting there because my class continued to have questions. And so you have to have a lot of patience. And I had yeah, to be patient. I, would imagine. I had to yeah. be very patient. And it was like, I need to leave. But then it turns out that the appointment, rather than being 30 minutes, it was an hour. Like it just was a whole thing. That's pretty much all I've got. Um, yeah. Just trying to survive. Work is the same old, same old right now. Um, we're in week three of this transformation. Um, I have one other class, may end up teaching a class after hours, and it looks like I'm going to be teaching this class for a new hire uh, combined in a couple weeks. In fact, the mm. first day of my uh, MRI and my EEG will be the first day of that class. So. It'll be busy then. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it, it will be very busy. And again, I'm not sleeping very well at all, but that's pretty standard. Mm. And just surviving. So yep. that's what Seems I to be that kind of a day, that kind of a week. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I've got for my mental minute. I want to talk about really quickly. I want to do an introduction into yeah. this episode. Our subject matter. Yeah. Our subject matter. And Again, I independently recorded this, so uh, Michelle and I are just going to talk about it, and then we're going to play the full interview. This interview is with an individual by the name of Dave Warnock. He is a ex-evangelical and was diagnosed with ALS in 2019. And Michelle hasn't heard the full interview, correct? Mm-mm, I have not. What do you know about ALS? Not a whole lot. I know it's degenerative and that it's fatal. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I don't know much about it. I don't know the progression of it or the symptoms. Well, Dave and I are in this interview. You're going to learn about what some of those symptoms are and really how this impacts an individual. But the main reason I want to talk about this with Michelle is because I want to have just a really quick conversation around essentially the topic of suicide and trigger warning that's going to come up in this episode. I mean, the subject matter itself is obviously a, a triggering subject matter, you know, for a lot of people, Uh, they either know or have known somebody that has committed suicide or they are somebody that maybe is contemplating it themselves, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's a touchy subject. Yes. It is a very touchy subject, and the mission and vision of this show is to offer information to be of support to individuals who are struggling, and I personally have a lot of experience around suicide intervention and suicide prevention. It's something I'm very passionate about. In fact, in the last interview with Christina Kofke, Uh, Her and I discuss her experience in actually getting to that point where she was having thoughts of suicide and actually admitted herself to a psych unit. And we Mm -hmm. talk about how that impacted her. And we ended that episode with the message of don't give up and to keep fighting and to know that people care. And that is all 100% true. Please keep fighting. Do not give up. But we're going I, to, yeah, Michelle. I think I think the main difference, though, between the two is is that 
in her situation, we weren't talking about a, a condition that ultimately leads to death. I mean, the, the interview you're going to hear tonight, the man's going to die. Yes. He's going to die. Yes. And he's, he's come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a matter of, in my estimation, giving up. It's a matter of facing the truth of the circumstances. Yes. And see, ooh, and, and I saying, even... I'm not giving up. I'm actually living my life to the fullest right now while I can. Yes. And thank you for correcting that. In fact, I might even want to take that out because I'm not trying to communicate that he's giving up right. um, at all. That is in no way the message that I am trying to convey. Right. Um, this is just really tricky as a clinician. I'm just being honest here. This is a tough uh, line to walk uh, between... Well, I'm not yet a clinician, so I'm so, just going to say it like I think it. <laughs> well, I would like you to say it as you think it. Uh, but it is It is kind of... This is a touchy subject. This is it controversial. Is. In this conversation, Dave and I are going to talk about his experience with ALS and specifically... Um, how this has impacted his mental health. And in having this conversation, trigger warning, um, Dave does share that he has a plan to end his life when his quality of life is no longer at a functional level. Well, and see, that, so that's my point, is the fact that the man is, he's come to terms with the reality of the situation. He's not quitting. He is purposely living knowing there's a deadline, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like he has a pretty clear picture. Like we all know we're going to die at some point, but most of us don't have a very clear picture in our mind of how that's going to happen or, you know, even a timeline. He's kind of been afforded that. I, I don't like the word luxury, but he's kind of been afforded the the information. Mm-hmm. And so he's now very much able to live purposely, you know, and do the things that he wants to do and experience prior to the point where his body will no longer allow that. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, as I, you and I were talking earlier today, I, I was pretty emphatic about my, my viewpoints on this. I, I find it ridiculous that somebody is not able to make those kind of choices for themselves in a circumstance in which there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. It's His condition is fatal, period. Yeah. And I know you and I both have a lot of friends that believe in miracles, and that's fine. But the reality is... I don't know very many people, if any at all, who've ever had ALS and been miraculously healed. They've died. Mm-hmm. And so for them, this is something that they have to face. They have to reconcile within themselves. And I, just listening to the little bit that you've given to me to listen so far, in his voice, I hear somebody that's very confident mm-hmm. about his choice, about his life, about what he has left to do. And how mm-hmm. he wants that to go. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think more of us should live that way. <laughs> we should yes. live on purpose like that. Yes. Instead of just existing. Well, and he, even in his story, talks about, he knows so many people who uh, strive to, how did he word this? To, they, they spend so much time focusing on staying alive. Yeah. Instead of living rather than living the life with the time that they have left. Exactly. And he is at a point where that's not, he's he's not here to try to stay alive. 
He wants right. to live the best life that he can now. And Absolutely. it's one, I find that extremely inspirational. But it no, is. in hearing this story, suicide is going to come up and he does talk about it. I think, again, you and I had a conversation earlier, and we have to make a distinction. We're not talking about somebody who has some form of mental illness, a mental health disease, in which they are contemplating suicide because life is just too painful for them to deal with. I have great compassion for those people. I And, of course, I would do anything and everything to help them through that rather than saying, okay, well, suicide's the only option. Obviously, it's not. But in this situation, we are talking about somebody who is terminally ill. His body is deteriorating. It's going downhill quickly. And he is purposely making choices for his life and his death. Yes. And I don't find that to be the same kind of thing. I don't. That's me. And I, That's my personal opinion. Well, and the truth of the matter is I don't either. But for some reason. But you're a clinician. So your job is. To, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. I, it gets, this is a very weird place to be in. And it is because I, you teach on suicide under or recognizing suicidal ideation all the time. Right. And the truth of the matter is, is that he does not present even right now with what he shares in this show. Mm -hmm. there, he, there's not enough for a clinician to do anything. Right. Not that we would. It's right. if it's imminent mm -hmm. that a clinician would potentially step in. But, but I don't think a person should at this. And, and I don't think it, uh, it's so complicated. So just the, the message I want to deliver is that if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, I want you to know that there is help out there. And, yes. and, and I want you to know that you can reach out to Suicide Lifeline at any time. Their phone number is 1-800-273-8255. But that's, we're not talking about suicide in its, in its mostly understood context. Really, right. what we're talking about is assisted dying, dying which is, with some dignity, which is legal in several states. Right. And in this case, it's not in his state. So he's going about it a different method. But had he been living in another state, it would it would be. So it's right. so just please know this interview may be triggering for you. And if so, I want you to take time to take care of yourself. But with that, let's go ahead and let's tune in to an episode with Dave Warnock. This is Seth Showalter here, and it is my privilege to interview the one and the only Dave Warnock. Dave is legendary on the interwebs. Dave is is dealing with a disease by the name of ALS. Is that correct, Dave? Yes. Commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease. He also is an ex-evangelical and really uh, has a whole message that he shares uh, with the world. I think it's very easy to access uh, via the internet, all about his journey through the faith. But really today, I want to talk about your experience with ALS and kind of how that's been impacting you. But first and foremost, how are you doing today? Good, good. I, um, we talked a long time ago, it's yeah. been over a year. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's the thing with ALS. It's a progressive disease mm -hmm. wherein your body continually gets worse. I'm losing muscle, losing muscle in my arms and shoulders. And so things get harder. And, um, so when people ask me how I'm doing, I, I really, there's not a lot of pain involved with ALS. There's not a lot of 
anything other than you just lose muscle. Mm-hmm. And um, so things take uh, longer to do and I get more tired. So I just have to factor that into my day and to my schedule and to my expectations. So I just have to realize I'm going to be more tired than I should be mm-hmm. just getting dressed, taking a shower, uh, driving. I still drive. Do you? Yeah. So, it, but everything I do just it, the, the simplest things take effort. And so it just wears me out. So that's, that's the long answer is that I get tired. Uh, understandable. I mean, I know that this has been a very difficult thing. Um, you've mentioned that it is a progressive disease and that it kind of gets worse with time. When did you first receive the diagnosis and how did that all happen? February 26th, 2019, a day that lives in infamy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, it was the final test I took. I'd been going through medical procedures for a couple of months and getting all kinds of tests done. And the EMG was the final test that was a conclusive diagnosis of ALS. So that was the day that everything changed when I, you know, I, I finally knew that what was wrong. I'd, I'd been known, I'd been knowing something was wrong for months mm-hmm. prior to that. I, I'd been having symptoms. I just didn't know what they were. And that's in some ways worse knowing mm-hmm. that something's wrong, but not knowing what it is. So yeah. I just wanted to, I just, I just wanted to know. What were, what were you experiencing that kind of was letting you know that, that something was off? Weakness uh, in my hands, fingers. It started in my fingers where I was having trouble forming certain letters when I would write them down and uh, mm-hmm. weakness in my hands. There were signature moments when I would try to do things I should be able to do like bowling. I couldn't grip a bowling ball with my fingers. And so I had to kind of palm it and shove it down the aisle. Mm-hmm. swing a golf club was with a friend at a football game and and my hands got really cold and couldn't button my pants I couldn't unbutton my pants I thought I was going to wet myself mm-hmm. because I just for five minutes could not get them unbuttoned wow. and uh, I realized then something seriously wrong and mm-hmm. so uh, that's when I started seeing doctors to try to find out what it was mm-hmm. we as you mentioned we've talked before, but it's been over a year, right? So over that course of the year, it sounds like you have started to notice there's, there has been a decline since we've last spoken. Is that correct? Yeah. It's very, very gradual with mine though. And that's good for that. For that, I can be thankful. I'm one of the slower progressors that we've met in the ALS community. And so there are a lot of people that we've met and, and gotten, you know, connected with in the, in the ALS community, both online and in person that I, you know, we've seen a decline even from the time I, you know, I would meet them and they'd be dead in a year. Um, Wow. So it it can go really, really fast. And uh, there are a lot of people I've had it uh, over three years, probably as far as onset of symptoms and the actual prognosis for most folks is three to five years until death. Mm-hmm. And those last few years with most people are spent in wheelchairs and unable to do anything. So I'm, I'm ahead of the curve on all of that. Well, that, that sounds like a blessing mm-hmm. that it is, that it is happening slow. How has been, how's your quality of life been? Um, somewhat compromised in terms of what I can't do anymore and what takes more effort. I still, I've always maintained a posture that when my quality of life was diminished to the degree that I'm not, not happy with it anymore, that I will end things. You know, I will take, take some measures 
okay. to bring things to a close. Quality of life is a very um, vague, if you will, idea. It can mean mm -hmm. different things to different people. Mm -hmm. So what are we willing to give up or lose? Uh, at what point do, do the losses outweigh the gains on a daily basis? So that's my measurement. That's what I look at in conjunction with my partner, Bevan. If, you know, what am I looking at in terms of how, how I can do, you know, will I be satisfied to live life in a wheelchair? Will I be satisfied with life if I'm on a breathing tube? Those are the kind of things that are in the future for most any ALS patient. Mm -hmm. Do I want to get there? Do I want to close things down before I get to that point? Um, you know, we can still travel. I just traveled by myself last week. I flew on a plane back to Nashville for a meeting and uh, that was challenging, you know, to not have someone there to assist me, mm -hmm. but I can still do it. And, and I did it. And so um, to me, it's about just what am I willing to give up and, and what am I needing to be able to do for there to be a, a sufficient quality of life? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that answer. I, that answer may change as time goes by. Right. You know, I, and I, I'm the one that gets to decide that. Mm -hmm. uh, so can we, now we talked about this when I interviewed the last time, um, when I was a part of a different show. Um, mm -hmm. And we don't have to spend a ton of time here, but you have mentioned it now. And so I, I'm, I am going to, I am going to go there. Um, you kind of mentioned that, you know, when things start to reach that point of they're becoming unmanageable or to the point that that quality of life is is diminished i mentioned that you would kind of wrap things up can you tell me a mm -hmm. little bit about that like what do you mean by that jump out of an airplane without a parachute no just kidding i actually since we talked have been skydiving have you really yeah with the guy on my back I, I, you know tandem but it was quite a thrill it was yeah it was quite a imagine. thrill too a little bit scary when you get to right to the edge of that when you get to the door and you're leaning forward and you fall out into the sky and you're dropping at hundred miles an hour, 15,000 yeah. feet in the air. It's kind of going, whoop, what did I do? What um, just happened? But yeah, I work with a group called the final exit network. Okay. And they, they sponsor me. They heard, they've heard me on shows and we've, we've kind of formed a partnership. Mm -hmm. And the, what they do is they, they are an organization, a nonprofit that helps people in my situation, similar situations have options toward the end. Mm -hmm. where we're not limited to living in states that have death with dignity laws because there's only a handful of those. And even those laws are, are too limiting in my view. They require you to have a six-month death window signed by two doctors. Well, for me, for instance, to have six months, if, I, if I'm down to the six-month window, I'm in pretty bad shape mm -hmm. and I don't intend to get that bad. So what they do is they give me the tools and the information I need to take things into, into, my, into my own hands, literally. If my hands don't work, which they won't by that time, then I, there's mechanisms and equipment that I can use. It's not a pill, it's just an actual uh, series of equipments and things like that where I can essentially go to sleep and not wake up with wow. nitrogen. So that's, um, that's the thing I have in mind to do. But that's again, a moving target for me and uh -huh. uh, I won't, I won't know till it gets to that point right. what, that I'm there. 
And that, like, again, that may change. Bevan might may, may talk me out of it. I may, I may tell her, you know, I'm really done. And she might convince me that there's still some quality of life. Mm-hmm. You know, and the reality is if I can, I can sit in a wheelchair and do this for a long time, mm-hmm. as long as I can talk. Uh, now, if I get to where I can't talk. yeah. I'm, I'm is, that a, is that a potential effect? Oh, yeah. Is it? Yeah. It will go, it will trans, it will transition from my arms to either my legs or my uh, mouth area. Okay. We don't know where it'll go next or how rapidly it will go, but mm-hmm. it's when it gets into your mouth area and you have trouble eating and breathing and talking that that's when it gets to where it's your, your days are, are numbered at that point. And I think that's referred to what we're talking about specifically, you know, in taking your own life, you know, but I don't even know if we call it that, right? We, we're calling it assisted dying, I think, in, in certain Well, states. it's really not. Assisted dying is, well, yeah, in certain states, it's assisted dying. You have to have a medical professional uh, assisting you in that sense. Mm-hmm. This is really, you know, trigger warning. It, it's suicide. It's me taking my own life. And that, you know, that's not illegal. Um, mm-hmm. No, it's not. Because... I mean, but what is illegal is for you to help me. Mm-hmm. So I can't have someone assist me in that sense. I have to be able to to make that happen on my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can be tricky depending on how limited I am. Mm-hmm. When I when we interviewed the last time, we talked about this because you know, as a mental health professional, there's an immediate you know, mm-hmm. resistance I have whenever we talk about suicide, but this is a, a bit of a different story, right? This isn't necessarily suicide as a result of mental illness or mental health right. concerns, but we're talking about quality of life and serious medical issues. As you've considered this and, and as you've kind of worked through this, does, do you have any fear around death? And sorry, these are really tough topics, Dave. I'm like kind of hitting you. I don't mean to, I don't no, mean, yeah. don't mean to Seth, come in yeah. too strong. I bet I'm like, man, I'm like, now that I'm like looking at some of these questions, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really going to ask this. But yeah, how do you feel about death? You have no idea how many times I've been asked these things. So okay. not, not, it's, not, it's not moving the needle for me at all. Okay. Um, no, I don't. And, and I've always has, I've asked, literally been asked that particular question. Am I afraid of death? God, it must be a hundred times. Okay. And, and it's okay. Yeah, it's okay because it's a valid question. It's one of the greatest fears that humans have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in public speaking, and I'm not afraid of that either. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I always hesitate to answer that glibly. I don't want to sound like I've got some kind of bravado around it. But the honest, truly honest answer is that I'm not. And the re- the way I unpack that is that the the act of the death itself there's nothing to be afraid of because I'm going to go to sleep mm-hmm. and I'm not going to wake up. And when I don't wake up, I won't be aware that I didn't wake up. Right. I won't be aware that I'm not alive. I won't be aware of anything. That's my understanding of it. And I could mm-hmm. be wrong and I could wake up in heaven or hell or somewhere in between or, or, or some other universe. I don't know. No right. one knows. Right. It, it's the great beyond that no one has an answer for. There's no way of knowing that question. No, the there's not. And so I, my understanding of it or my, my attitude about it is I'm not going to have any awareness of not being alive. So there's nothing to fear there. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned with the people I leave behind. They're the ones that have to go on. And what I am afraid of, and afraid is not the right word, but what I'm concerned about is to not get the most out of the life I have. 
and to leave something on the table. Mm-hmm. And so I'm making every effort I can to grab all the moments I can live the best life I can with this one life I know we have. Mm-hmm. And so my concern is that I will uh, capitulate to uh, weariness or depression or anger or any of those issues surrounding terminal illnesses or chronic illnesses that we can all succumb to. Uh, my concern is that I would succumb to some of that and not live the best days that I can. Right. So my efforts are built around every day doing what I can to get the most out of what I have, mm-hmm. to get the most out of the moments. I call them the moments. It's all about the moments. And I've seen a lot of, I've gotten connected, as I said earlier, with the ALS community, I'll call it. I've met a lot of them in person and we're in touch with a lot of them online and, and you know, there's, it runs the gamut age wise and uh, attitude wise. And I, I have seen uh, in my view, too many of them focusing all their energy and all their effort and even time and money on staying alive. Mm-hmm. And when we do that to an, uh, an unhealthy imbalance in my view, then we don't have time for actually living. Right. And I decided early on in this process, I made a pretty quick decision that I've not regretted to focus my energy and time on living instead of staying alive. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a balance there. In fact, I've, I'm trying to get into a clinical trial in Nashville, where I'm from, and we've been meeting with doctors and people over there. And, and I talked to this neurologist, actually, uh, Saturday, she called me the new one that's being assigned to me. And I told her we've got some travel plans and we're trying to do as much as we can. And I just said to her, I, I want to get in this trial because I'm interested in staying alive, mm-hmm. but I'm also interested in living and I'm trying to thread that needle and find that balance between the two. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast? Running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. There's so many questions I have now. And <laughs> I, I, this conversation is going to be geared towards mental health. But right. I, I, I can't not at least talk a little bit about the faith aspect, Dave. Like I can't, sure. like, especially since we're talking about death. Um, and I know that you were an evangelical. In fact, you were a former pastor, weren't you? Yeah, for a lot of years. Uh-huh. And, and so can you just tell us just a brief, I know it's hard to do that, but just a brief summary of like, how did this impact your faith and, and, and specifically your views towards death, because I'm assuming that that viewpoint has changed as the faith has changed. Yes, dramatically. My departure from faith, from evangelical fundamentalism, was probably 10, 12 years ago. Uh, okay. 
this diagnosis is only two years ago, three years ago. So I had been out of the faith for a long time before I got this diagnosis. My views on death and what's beyond death had, had changed long before I got this. Okay. You know, as a Christian, as, as an evangelical, of course, we're, we're taught and we believe that there, there's life after death, there's eternal life, and that everything we do is geared toward that. And, mm-hmm. and our, what, we, what we believe in and who we believe in determines our fate after death. And so much of our attention is focused on the afterlife. We're taught that this life is just a, a warm-up, it's just a breath and that we're, we're to focus on the life that's to come. This life is temporal and that one's eternal. So what that does when we have that as a focus is it causes us to diminish this life and devalue, if you will, this life. Mm-hmm. Now that's a subliminal thing. I don't think we're aware that we're doing that. I don't think it's a cognizant issue with us. We're not going around saying this life is awful. This life is terrible. I don't care about this life. Now some people do, but but that's not, the normal uh, thinking in my view, that's not, I don't remember thinking that way. I'll put it that way. Some people may, but I enjoyed life. I've always enjoyed life. So I didn't go around going, well, was me. I hate this life. Um, I can't wait to get to heaven. Uh, and, f- and it's funny to me because Christians resist death more than anyone. And, you know, they do. They're, they're the ones that should be in a hurry to get to heaven. Right. You would think. <laughs> so all that shifted when I deconstructed my faith, all that shifted. And I realized, this is the one life we have and we need to make the most of it. So that all that, that all changed. When I even remember, again, I don't want to get too, cause I'm going to talk just something I heard when I was in church a lot, which again, this doesn't apply necessarily, but it was like a pushback on it's, it's not we're going, but he's coming. The whole idea is, mm-hmm. but there's so many Christians that the whole idea is just to get out of this world and to, you know, we're not of this world. Um, yeah. that whole exactly. message, right. The whole issue, like global warming, they don't care because they, they don't they, care. They don't it's care. It's going to burn up anyway, right? It's like, Earth's going to burn, so who who cares, right? Right. So I've 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 heard a lot of that messaging myself growing up. So I I know that what you're speaking to is true. There, I really am encouraged by the fact that you're trying to live your best life now, rather than mm-hmm. worrying about something in the past. That, I mean, something in the future that you can't control, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but focusing on what you can. What are some of the, now, we, I mean, we are coming out of a pandemic. So talking about living your best life now, how, how have you handled COVID? Well, you know, if we're talking about the mental aspect of things mm-hmm. with, a, with a, a terminal illness, that was a real kick in the butt. Uh, I can imagine. Because prior to COVID, I have an organization called Dying Out Loud that that mm-hmm. came out of this organically. And with, so I started doing a lot of podcasts and traveling and speaking, and I really enjoy that. And we were just, we were doing that all over the world, actually. I'd been many places in this country. I had trips planned uh, when, when COVID hit. I always, I always had to take back my years because I feel like we lost a year. Mm-hmm. 2020, you know, uh, was, was we had, we had stuff booked, um, through September of 2020 and and all that got shut down in March of 2020 so every it's just like the world came crumbling down around me mm-hmm. and all these meetings got canceled and trips got canceled and I was really 
really finding a lot of meaning and purpose in that, in what I was doing with Dying Out Loud. And so when all that got shut down and we had to just basically isolate and nothing was happening and we started doing some Zoom meetings and and online stuff, but it, as much as I enjoyed this, uh, me personally, the human connection, the hugging the neck, the face-to-face interactions, those are much more meaningful for me. Mm-hmm. So the Zoom meetings and the interviews like this didn't fill that void for me. So I got right. really probably angry a bit, depressed a bit, and just feeling like I lost a year that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting that back. You know, everybody lost a year, but most of the people realize, okay, well, we'll pick it back up at some point. Right. Well, by the time I pick it back up, I may not be able to travel. I may not be able to speak. I may not be able to walk. I may not be able to do anything. So it was a really hard adjustment for me to make. And ALS is all about adjustments to begin with. You adjust how you put your clothes on and how you eat and all those things have to be adjusted. But this was a really tough one mm-hmm. for me personally. We managed Bevan and I managed to get out and do some things. I mentioned we went skydiving. We took a trip out to the Grand Canyon and flew in a helicopter over it. We've been to New that had huh? to be go, flying over the uh, Grand Canyon yeah. on a on a uh, helicopter had to be pretty incredible. I just wanted to know because I'm like I'm really jealous. Well, I tell everyone if you get to go to the Grand Canyon, spend the extra money and and do the helicopter because it just you can't believe how amazing it is. Yeah. Anyway, right. so we've had some moments. We've had some some big moments. We've done some traveling, but you know I, I still. And we're starting to kick things back up and we're going to be doing a lot of traveling this summer and fall and, and some meetings are starting to get scheduled again. And, and so, you know, it's coming back to life and I am still here and I am still functional. So, you know, it's, we're in recovery mode, if you will, but that was a mental blow for me mm-hmm. to have to adjust to that COVID. I mean, I just, you know, I'd get mad and say, oh my God, it's not enough to have to have fucking ALS. Now COVID is shutting my life down. Are you kidding me? Can I get a break here? You know? Right. right. (laughs) So there was some self-pity and anger there for sure. Well, I think that it's valid. I mean, I think, you know, you have a, you have a, you have a stop. I mean, it's what's the, you have a clock that's counting down. Clock that's ticking. Right. You know, I mean, I, I think that that's a very valid uh, feeling and because one of the questions I really wanted to ask was how did you find that balance between social isolation and living your life to the fullest? And it also sounds like uh, Bevan is is a big support for you and and that you've got someone there at home so you're not alone all the time. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been isolated here in Charlotte. And I'm from Nashville. And and so when we met a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, it made more sense for me to move here and be with her. And so I'm really glad that, you know, we had that time together and, and with, with COVID. And so, you know, we've, we've just been hunkered down together and we've done, like I said, we've done some things. It also helped me to focus on writing my book. I'd been, I've been writing my memoir and I'd been dabbling with it for a couple of years and writing as, as I felt moved. And, mm-hmm. but this focused me and forced me to, to really buckle down and, and apply myself to it on a daily basis and it really made a difference. So 
-hmm. having nowhere to go and no distractions, you know, really helped me in that regard. Fair enough. I want to read that when that's done, by the way, I want to be one of the first people to buy that book. (laughs) So please, whenever that, whenever you, you know, move forward with that, I want to hear about that for sure. But let's, let's gear a little bit into, I mean, I, the mental health aspect of this. Sure. Upon receiving this diagnosis and then going through COVID and finding yourself in this really tight spot, kind of feeling almost like things were against you, I would imagine, Mm -hmm. like totally Mm -hmm. unfair. And then not being able to hug people. I mean, that's huge. What have you been noticing on a mental health realm? Has it been, have you been feeling depression or anxiety or how's that been impacting you? I haven't on a daily basis. I've had pockets of it, I would say. Mm -hmm. Moments where... I will get, uh, Bevan and I have talked about this a lot. We, we, we have to live in a bit of a state of denial. Uh, you know, if you wake up every day, if every minute of every day you're thinking about, I have a terminal illness, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. You, it, it would render you fu- dysfunctional, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. So we have to disconnect from that reality on a day-to-day basis, going through the day, doing the things we do. But there are moments when it hits me waking up in the morning or laying there at night, not being able to sleep. And, you know, those quiet moments when you're not distracted or able to fill the noise, fill the void. It's that's that's when the mental aspect of it is the most difficult, I would say. I'm not prone to anxiety or depression. I've had my moments and pockets of it here and there. But, you know, it's not clinical or anything. And I I just it's circumstantial, if anything. And Mm -hmm. So I've, I've really, you know, I was actually writing, I'm, I'm actually closing in on the finish of the book. I should be done with the draft of it awesome. in, in a month or so. But I was writing about the, this, the chapter called The Diagnosis, and, um, and I was trying to relive my reaction to it, you know, get back in the moment, get back in the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I was remembering some of the thoughts I had and how I was processing the diagnosis. And, and I, uh, you know, for instance, I wrote a, a thing that says, uh, you know, uh, walking through a park and wondering, seeing people and wondering how many of them have ALS, probably none. Mm-hmm. There's only 30,000 people a year in the country that have it. And there's probably not anyone else in this park that I'm looking at right now, or maybe in this whole part of this city that has it. And then my next thought was, why me? And then my next thought beyond that was, why not me? Mm. So, who That's am an I? Interesting to, perspective because people wouldn't ask that. They would only yeah. Know who why. who am I to think that I shouldn't be one that has it? Who am I to think that I'm mm. so special that it wouldn't hit me? It's going to hit a certain number of people every year statistically. Right. Who am I to say or think that I shouldn't be the one? And that's you know. It's, a, it's an arrogant way to look at life if, we, if you stop and think about it. I'm so special. I shouldn't be one that gets ALS. And I had a conversation. We, had a, we were in Chicago for Lou Gehrig Day a few weeks ago where Major League Baseball recognized ALS and made a day for it. And so they, were, they were honoring some people and recognizing everyone touched by ALS. And so we met some, some people and had drinks with them at a bar after the game. And I was talking to uh, a young lady who um, has a version called familial ALS, which is genetic and it affects, it hits in families. And so 
a particular family might lose three or four people from it. You know, it's just, it's, it's genetic. And so um, we always get, you know, I got tested with mine and found out that I don't have that. So, you know, I told my kids, you know, you're probably not going to get it because uh, I don't have the kind that is genetic. And, but this one family we we're talking to these, these several siblings are, are genetic and they've lost eight or 10 people oh, wow. in the last few years to it. Grandfathers, mothers, cousins, uncles, all that. And I was talking to a young lady who's like 30 and I, she's, she's just now getting tested for it and she hasn't gotten the results and I asked her I said are you nervous about that um are, are you nervous about the results and she said no no I'm not and and she said in fact I hope I hope I have it because she said if I don't then it's more likely that someone else is going to and I'm tired of losing my family members. Now, now that is a unique perspective, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, and I'm it, crying over here. Yeah. I, yeah. I was crying when I talked to her and I hugged her neck and I said, I understand what you're saying. It's a horrible thing to say and think, but I completely understand it. You know, it's that survivor's guilt thing. Mm -hmm. And when, when your family members all around you are dropping like flies and you don't have it, then you're going, oh my God, why them and not me? Right. Uh, so it's, it's a brutal reality, mm -hmm. the mental aspect of, of, of how this affects you and everyone around you. You know, it's again, it's not just me. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I think about how it's going to be for Bevan and, and close friends and family members who have to watch me fade away. You know, it's, it's, it's hard on them as it does on me in many ways harder. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's an interesting perspective, right? And to be able to look at the entire family system and, yeah. and almost be like, I, I would rather it happen to me than, and she, than my And she wasn't, she wasn't being, you know, anything. She was just being honest. I think she really, really felt like I don't want to watch someone else die. I would rather be the one. Mm -hmm. uh, so it just points to the reality of how much harder in many ways this is on those around us. Oh, absolutely. Because there's a sense of helplessness and you just, mm -hmm. you know, you're watching someone disintegrate in front of your eyes. Which is tragic. Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, you, you've mentioned a few times the ALS community, and mm -hmm. it, it sounds like you have been able to make some connections there with people Yeah, that have been meaningful. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I mean, you're drafted into this club upon your diagnosis, and there's a, there's a brotherhood, there's a commonality, a common bond that just links you together. We made a trip to Costa Rica is another uh, thing we did this, this spring in May. And a primary reason we went down there is to visit with friends of ours that we had met at, a, at an ALS rally two years ago in D.C. And he's a guy that's a few years younger than me, but he has a much more, pro he's much more progressed than his. He's in a wheelchair and can't move his arms. And so we visited with them. They live in Costa Rica. And, um, and then I'm making plans. We're doing a road trip here in the summer, Bevan and I. We're going to go to uh, one of our stops is Seattle. We're going out west. And um, there's a young couple I've connected with that heard me on a 
on a YouTube show or a podcast or something and reached out and they're a young couple in their twenties and he has a very progressive strain of ALS and they've got little kids and they wanted to meet us and me. And so I, I make it a point as much as I can to connect with, with people that are touched by this disease. And I don't really know why <laughs> I don't think I have anything to offer them. In fact, I've wondered if it's harder on them to see me and to meet me less progressed, you know, here they are mm. in a wheelchair and they can't do anything. And I waltz in, you know, walking around and, and looking way healthier than them, but I know how I would feel. And I, and I don't, I don't get any sense from any of them that they feel that there's no jealousy or resentment of, one another in this community there's just a sense that we're all in this together and this has hit us and and it's a random and unpredictable thing that that we've that we've been infected by and we're all fighting you know we're fighting for treatments to become available for research for laws to make things more accessible i mean we're all we're all fighting the same enemy. The enemy is ALS, not one another. And so That's I've never so... sensed, never sensed any competition among us. We're all, we're all dying and we know it. And it mm -hmm. just, it causes us to bond together. And so, yeah, we've made efforts to connect as much as possible. And it's always rewarding. Well, that was, I was about to ask, um, you kind of answered it for me, but, um, you know, have you met someone that's doing, quote unquote, progressing less than you. And how did you feel? Because my, I, I would suggest that no, they don't care. Right. No, Which is exactly. I would be very happy for them. Exactly. I, 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 yeah. I'm as slow as I've seen, honestly. How are you? I, yeah. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that, but I, uh, man, I would be nothing but nothing but love for someone who was doing better than me. Cause man, I, you don't wish this on anyone. And, exactly. um, so yeah, I, I would just be grateful that they're doing as well as they can. Mm -hmm. And I bet that's exactly how all all yeah, you know, I think all so feel. too. It's all about your so your too. community, um, and you're supporting one another. And and really, at the end of the day, no one knows, right? Of who because no. it could it could. I mean, I don't want to be negative, but I mean, it could hit. It could be. It could speed up, quote unquote. Yeah. No, it could. Yeah. You and, and you just don't ever know. So no. So that's why you have to grab the moments you can. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the questions again, I, you're, you're, you know, I can tell you've done a lot of podcasts because you're answering <laughs> everything before I, before I get to it, which is excellent. But you know, where at this time, and I think you've kind of mentioned a lot of it has been community, but I wanted to ask where do, where do you find the most joy with everything mm -hmm. that's happened and this fear of not knowing where things are going to go. And then we're looking at COVID with the social isolation. you know, there have been some very unique challenges over the last year, just for people who do not have a chronic physical illness. But mm -hmm. on top of that, having one, where, where do you find the most joy? What brings you joy? Yeah, that's, uh, I, I have mentioned it. I think it's the people it's, it's having Bevan in my life and it's the friends that I have. And it's the new people I meet. I get the dying out loud work that I've been doing for over two years now has connected me with some incredible people. Mm -hmm. Really, really, and honestly, all around the world. And I, 
I've enjoyed the virtual connections like you and I have here right now. But That's what I really, same. no, it's not. What I get the most joy from is connecting in person. Mm-hmm. And so when we do our, when we travel, like I said, we, we did a, we, we did a, we were in Chicago and while there I met, we, we met with some ALS people that we hadn't met in person, but also some internet friends from the ex-Christian community, atheist mm-hmm. community that I, that I'd gotten to know online and we got to meet in person. And that was a, a thrill for all of us. And, and we did a road trip, Bevan and I out through Texas and Arkansas and Oklahoma and stopping to meet people that um, some that I had known in my former church years that were church members before and had deconstructed their faith and wanted to meet me. And then others who had seen me online and wanted to meet me. And every time we did, it was just this incredible connection. We had beautiful moments uh, just having conversation or having a meetup with a group of people and, and it's just, we came away from every one of them going, wow, that was just so rewarding and so enriching. And so that's, to me, the essence of life is the moments we can grab with one another. Absolutely. Now, I know, again, I don't think anyone can, can truly respond to this without having been in your shoes, right? I mean, I, I think I can try to put myself in your shoes, but I don't think anyone can really know how they're going to respond until mm-hmm. they're given that diagnosis. And I think, you know, um, that makes it very real. But I can imagine that a lot of people who do get diagnosed with something like this don't turn to public speaking, writing a book, traveling the country, being an inspiration, being on podcasts, essentially, you know, essentially telling the world and, and offering a message of, of hope. I mean, I, and I know it's, it seems like it's not a message of hope, but do you know, like to see someone who's struggling with your perspective is one, I mean, to me, that is a message of hope. And so my question is, why are you committed to, to speaking and sharing your story? Well, initially it, it, it just sprang up organically and I started just talking on podcasts and, mm-hmm. and, uh, I kind of just wanted to, uh, I, you know, I like the title we came up with, and I don't even remember how we did, but dying out loud. Mm-hmm. And and I, I liked the idea of talking, of saying the quiet things out loud. Nobody talks about death. Mm-hmm. It's this taboo subject. And so I kind of wanted to pull the cover back on it and, and just say, let's talk about this. Let's unpack it. And as I did, as I started doing it and started, and then I started getting the messages and, and the responses from people. And I was blown away, Seth. I didn't expect any of this. I thought I'd do a few podcasts and fade off into the sunset, you know? And mm-hmm. it just kind of kept snowballing, if you will. And um, when I started hearing from people that were positively impacted by the things I was talking about, it just inspired me that much more to and motivated me to really ramp it up, to do everything I could mm-hmm. to get, get that message. I call it the message of dying out loud. And it's, just, <laughs> it's simple, really. When I look at it, it's, and I've said it many times, it's real. I talk more about living out loud than dying out loud. And I talk about 
grabbing the moments and making the most of the one life we have and and not shrinking back whatever you're faced with not shrinking back from it but pressing forward and and getting sucking the marrow out of the bones of life and that has had a good i mean it's just been a good you used the word inspirational and i appreciate that and i've been told that so many times and at first it was hard for me to to accept it even and to to grasp that that was happening but it kept happening so much and then i finally realized yes okay i get it it's a real thing and and i don't consider myself brave or inspiration i just i just am who i am and like you said we don't know how we're going to react to something till we're in the moment mm-hmm. and I, when people have told me i wouldn't have been able to handle this like you i say no no you don't know that you might have done exactly the same thing we just don't know Right. until we're there and all we can do is the best we can do mm-hmm. and so the maya angelou quote that i've latched onto: do the best you can do until you know better and then when you know better do better it's just such a simple concept not mm-hmm. that easy to do all the time no. and i don't do it well all the time i don't i'm not i'm not always grabbing the moments i, I can complain ask bevan she'll tell you i can get grumpy and i can get impatient and all those things but overall, my overall outlook is I'm just going to keep doing the best I can do as long as I can do it. And I think most people, I really do, would kind of move that same direction. I mean, the alternative is to shrink back and curl up in a fetal position and, and wait to die. And I, I, I don't know a lot of people that want to do that. <laughs> I didn't. Right. Well... I do think, though, that people do do that, especially when they become overwhelmed. Yeah, um, true. And I'm wondering if, which again, I, I want to walk around this delicately, but I'm wondering if the fact that there's a time on it that makes it different, right? On my death, yeah. Mm-hmm. I that think there's I've, that I've, there's a there's a clock ticking, right? And when we don't have that diagnosis of this is you're given three to five months, I mean three to five years to live. Right. It's kind of like, well, then I can just shrink back and not worry about this right now. And I think people shut down. Whereas your situation, it's completely different because you have limited time Mm -hmm. and everyone has limited time, but they don't realize it or recognize it in that moment. They just kind of shut down. Yeah. And I think that hearing your story and seeing the fact that you are doing everything that you can to live life to the fullest is an inspirational story to so many people who, who have shut down because Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting to see someone who's facing death yet is still marching with a smile on their face, you know, offering a story of, of, and that's what I've been told. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head as far as how people are responding is they'll say, you know, if Dave can do it, then I can do it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if Dave can grab life by the horns and, and try to grab the moments, then I can do it. And so that's what, that was the idea behind the WWDD bracelets. What would Dave do? And, mm-hmm. and Which I love, you know, I, by the way. I get the, yeah, I get the sentiment behind that. And it makes sense if you look at it that way. And and so that's, I, I guess that's the essence of, of what I've been able to do for people and help them refocus in some ways how they're looking at life. Mm-hmm. And if they were in a depression state or a, a physical illness state or just 
blase about life, then, then they have told me that, yeah, you've, you've helped me to um, kind of re-energize myself around this thing called life that we have and realize how wonderful it is mm-hmm. and how beautiful it is and how brief it is and how uncertain it is. And so since all those things are true, I need to make the most of every moment. And so that's just, I mean, like I said, it's a simple message. It really is. It's simple, but incredibly powerful. Thank you. To wrap this interview up, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for coming on and and sharing a little bit of your story. But for those who are struggling, whether it be with a physical illness or a mental illness or just feeling very down, what's your message? What would you encourage them with? You're stronger than you think you are. Um, mm. we, we do have reserves in us that we don't realize are there. And oftentimes it does take a crisis or some kind of a negative circumstance to cause us to, to tap into that. The second thing is find people around you that, that can be a positive influence in your life and tap into them. Because most of us have them if we look for them. Uh, not everybody does. I realize that. And it's hard. It's harder that, you know, I I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to give the impression that I think anyone's situation is easier than anyone else's. We're all, we're all doing the best we can. And some struggles are more difficult than others. I realize Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. but I, I just, uh, I think for, for most of us, we can find, we can find strength and energy in ourselves and those around us that we didn't even realize if, but we got to, we got to look for it. Awesome. Incredibly powerful. Um, thank you so much for coming on uh, to Mental Podcast today. Everyone, Dave Warnock. Thanks, Seth. Thank you for listening to this episode with Dave Warnock. You can check out more about Dave at dyingoutloud.com. If you've enjoyed this episode of Mental Podcast, you can find us on almost any podcast streaming application. Uh, You can learn more about the show at website, which is mental-podcast.com. We're live on Facebook. We're active on Instagram. We have a hotline. Michelle, what is that hotline number? Oh, my God. You're asking me at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and I haven't slept. 314-690-5005. You can call or text that number anytime, 24-7. I just can't promise I'll answer it. However... (laughs) You can call it and leave a voicemail. Let us know what you think about the show, if there's anything you'd like to see us do differently, and any suggestions you might have. And with that, I give the final word to my co-host, Michelle Collins. We appreciate you all. We're happy that you've been with us. We hope that you've garnered something valuable from this tonight, or today, and we'll be here next time. See you next week. At the Home Depot, we have Black Friday savings all through November. And with that comes a joyful holiday bustle that we just love to hear. Although we also love the sound that comes after the holidays. When people put their new tools to use. In fact, we love it so much. When you buy select Milwaukee M18 kits, you'll get an extra tool for free. So after you're done filling the air with holiday magic, you can fill it with the sounds of doing. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi. 
Welcome to your neighborhood pharmacy. Hi, I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? Well, it depends on your type of commercial insurance and factoring in your yearly spend, subtracting the deductibles, also depending on your monthly allowance. Why can't there be a better option? Or you could try Contour Next test strips. A 35 counts only $19.99 over the counter and proven to be highly accurate. Go to contournext.com slash radio to see if over the counter strips are a more affordable option for you. Hmm, I think I'll try Contour Next. <laughs> 